Hey there, uh, this is Harry Tungall from uh, The Daily Californian, the uh, monarch of college dailies. And this is Shannon O'Hara. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in to our latest iteration of the Game of Thrones Real Talk podcast. We're going to be talking about episode four today. Um, it was, I liked it as an episode. I thought it reminded me a lot of the things that fans first fell in love with when they got interested in Game of Thrones. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's, okay, so it's kind of weird because we know that episode five is going to be, um, Westerosi Pirates of the Caribbean, um, and it's gonna be this another huge like battle um, comparable to the Long Night. Uh, so this is kind of more table setting, um, but as in terms of as as far as table setting goes, I thought it was uh, pretty entertaining. Definitely a lot of things to talk about. Um, I think for me, this episode kind of feels like a synecdoche for most of the season so far, in that it's like I like a lot of the things in there in concept but in execution, maybe not as much. Um, so we can get into that a little bit more later. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So jumping right in to our recap of this episode, um, Jon Snow honors those killed fighting the dead and they are cremated in a mass funeral pyre. So this comes uh, via David Nutter, the director of this episode, as well as um, many of the other uh, non-battle episodes in the season. Um, this this is what he said to uh, Collider about uh, Danny's last words to Jorah. I don't know what she said to him. We never talked about that. I wanted her to actually own that and have that be her one thing that she can say to Jorah that's hers and hers alone. Um, so given that you're a resident Jorah fan, <laughs> what what would what do you think uh, if you, if you could whisper anything into Dejora's ear? Uh, oh my goodness! And I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, that's such a tricky one. Um, maybe, honestly, just like, I'm proud of you. Um, you mean so much to me. Um, I couldn't have done this without you. I would want her to say, not in a weird way, but I love you. Um, but I know that Jorah would misinterpret that even on his deathbed. So she can't be saying that shit in front of him. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> it's, all jokes aside, it was a pretty emotional um opening scene yeah. um and just seeing the kind of the thousands of funeral pyres that are there um in addition to seeing um Sansa say goodbye to Theon uh pinning the uh Winterfell um the Stark mm. pin on him um and also seeing John um uh you know uh bury Lyanna Mormont and uh Sam also saying goodbye Sam. to Ed. And we had Arya also say goodbye to Beric. In yeah. The episode. Um, and although their relationship wasn't a particularly close one, but that moment is still poetic for a lot of other reasons that got us very excited last week. Yeah. So, yeah, a really somber opening to this episode. Um, but yeah, I think very fitting. Yeah, saying goodbye to uh, characters gone and um, probably uh, the first round of many. Um, certainly within the context of this episode, too. Um, but moving right along, at a feast, Daenerys Targaryen legitimizes Gendry as a Baratheon and makes him Lord of Storm's End. Daenerys honors Arya, but is uncomfortable at the acclaim given to Jon by the Wildlings. Um, and just to reiterate, as always, um, our plot summary comes right from Wikipedia. Um, but I guess the thing that, uh, is kind of driving the yeah. conversation around Game of Thrones <laughs> this week, uh, is a cop. 
Yeah. Um, and we should probably talk about it. Yeah, there was, as um, you guys probably saw on the internet, a coffee cup that was left in the shot. Um, we see it pictured in front of Daenerys on the table. Um, definitely looks a little out of place, though I admit I didn't notice it at all the first time we watched. Yeah. I mean, you have to be looking for it. Yeah, you really have um, to be on the hunt. And it is hilarious to me how many people that must have slipped by. Yeah. But, yeah, no. I was, you guys have eagle eyes. Uh, this comes from, uh, this is an official statement by HBO. Um, the latte that appeared in the episode was a mistake. Daenerys had ordered an herbal tea, um, which is pretty great. Uh, yeah, pretty good sense of humor about it. Yeah. Something I heard on the Clash of Kings podcast with uh, David Chen and Joanna Robinson was just that, you know, if you really put yourself in the perspective of someone on a shoot, um, on, a, on a set, and like the minute that you get out of like the shot, it's like the modern world. Like it's so many things and so many people um, that it's pretty easy for things to kind of get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And um, kind of in a similar boat, like when we, the shot that we see is very often, like they're sitting in a room surrounded by green screens and it also to them looks very modern. So something like a coffee cup doesn't necessarily strike you as out of place. So you may think that it's not actually in the shot. So yeah, can't really blame them. <laughs> and I'm honestly like every, I feel, I don't know. I feel like this is a little bit, uh, the wrong thing to fixate on um but i'm honestly just amazed that movies get made at all it's kind of a small miracle <laughs> in and of itself and it's like you know what it's fine um but something else that uh they mentioned on the clash of kings is just that like this shouldn't it's not necessarily the director's fault because you're in the moment like you're like not, you're you're looking at a monitor so like you're not yeah. really like kind of um seeing everything in, in a shot it's really more the fault of like color graders and people mm -hmm. that have to like process this um so that's something they point out and in my own head canon i like to imagine that somewhere out there uh there's a visual effects person who's like out to get another visual effects person <laughs> and like just left it there and like is gonna pin it on them and it's an actual game of thrones yeah, um it could be. but that's my headcanon i think that's a good one but talking back about the episode again um i've been saying for weeks that i thought gendry being a baratheon would be something that's important and relevant and comes up again but i'm wondering if it's even more important than just having him um, be sent to storm's end um Maybe Danny intends to use Gendry against Jon somehow. Maybe she's aware of his relationship with Arya. And it's possible that at some point Gendry will have to choose between Daenerys, who gave him a sense of identity, a purpose, and Arya, who, as far as we can tell, is the love of his life. Um, and that can be stressful for him, I'm sure, and stressful for us as fans to see what kind of role Gendry, who's such a nice, um, lovable character, might play in that um, inevitable conflict, we could say. Um, and also, if John and Danny are both out of the picture before episode 6 ends, Gendry's claim to the throne might be something that comes up again, though I consider that a little bit less likely of a possibility. Um, but yeah, my last suggestion is that maybe they were just trying to write him out. Maybe they're like, we're kind of bored of this character, so we're going to put him somewhere where he doesn't have to do anything that's relevant. <laughs> Just the way they, they did the same thing with Tormund and Sam in this episode. So I don't know if it's so much of a stretch to think that they were trying to just write him out. Yeah, and I think it's kind of interesting to consider because I think in the war against Cersei, Gendry's going to fight against Cersei no matter what. Right. It's really just a matter of where his loyalties lie. Exactly. Um, and, or more fittingly, who kind of uses him um, to their power the most. Right. Um, so that'll be 
interesting to see play out. And yeah, awesome job for being like super 100% right <laughs> that the Baratheon thing was going to uh, come up again. Um, so, and yeah, we can get to Tormund and Sam being written out um, once that comes. I hope they're not being written out. That definitely was the feeling, right? Yeah. Unless they're trying to make us think that they're writing them out so that when they show up at the very end, it's like cute yeah. and fun. To me, it feels like Real, if this is really it for like Gendry, for Tormund, for Sam, for Gilly, um, Ghost, um, I don't know, it just felt really abrupt to me. And I like, I understand that we only have like two episodes left. Um, so I like to think, and I would be inclined to think, that it's just kind of a misdirect. Yeah, I would almost, if it is really them writing them out, I would have almost preferred that they did nothing and we just didn't see those characters show up. Yeah. Versus kind of, yeah, this aggressive. Yeah. Um, we're gonna go now, fine. Yeah, and like, I don't know, I think like, because the information of John's parentage, we'll get to that like soon, but I think it's gonna come out. Right. And I think when it does, there's gonna need to be someone more than Bran um, yes. to kind of like valid, yeah, like that's kind of their purpose. Like Sam, Gilly, Bran, like that's kind of their purpose in the show. And Bran isn't super verbose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think someone like Sam, um, someone like Gilly, um, and I feel like they're, I really feel like they're not done yet. At least I hope yeah. they're not. I hope so. Yeah, I love those characters. I think they're so fun and they add so much richness to the show and kind of a world where everyone can sometimes be very serious and soldiery. They're um, a little more lighthearted in a way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so moving on. Oh, it's Gendry again. Uh, All right. Gendry proposes to Arya, but she declines. Jamie, Brienne, Tyrion, and Podrick play a drinking game, which results in Brienne leaving after Tyrion guesses she is a virgin. Jamie goes to Brienne's room and they have sex. Daenerys begs John not to tell anyone about his parentage, but he insists that he must tell Arya and Sansa. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, my man doesn't know how to use a fork. Um, to which I say, stick it with a point, the pointy end. Um, Clever of you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty proud of that. Um, so we've talked about Gendry enough. Um, Jamie and Brienne and Tyrion um, are it, it's it's a really big episode for them. Um, and we approve of the Bramie, uh, the Bramie. Okay, well, I guess that's their ship Bramie's name, isn't okay, it? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, we approve of, uh, Bramie. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Um, I definitely, I like the relationship. I think there are two characters that helped each other grow throughout the past eight seasons. Um, and I think that was definitely, like, mutually the two characters were contributing to that process. Um, but that being said, you pulled a great quote um, that kind of exposes how their relationship and this scene in particular is also quite problematic and frustrating for a fans. Bit, yeah. um, so if you want to read that quote. Yeah, this is uh, via Joanna Robinson from Vanity Fair um, in her recap of the episode. Uh, it reads, Jamie, meanwhile, is deploying an old fraternity trick against poor defenseless, in this context, Brienne. Let's play a drinking game. It's just a game, not a cheap ruse to create a false sense of intimacy while plying you with alcohol to lower your defenses or anything. Um, so, yeah, there is that issue of, like, consent um, with the drinking game that uh, Jamie and Tyrion play with Brienne. Um, so that that kind of, again, like I said at kind of the beginning, I like the ideas that are in, like, this episode. I like yes. the idea that Brienne and Jamie would, like, recognize... Like would take that their would take their love for each other to kind of like a romantic place, which is yes. like the next logical step. Um, but just the way it's executed like this right. isn't super great. I completely agree with that. Um, worth noting that Joanna Robinson does like expand on that um, in uh, the Clash of Kings, and she says like 
it's a little bit tricky because like in the scene like Brienne is the one who's kind of like moving things forward like right. um in the in like um in like having sex with Jamie but um the alcohol does kind of like sully that yes yeah a little bit. yeah um still uh we do like the pro we are pro Jamie and Brienne but I don't know it's this kind of yeah we just wish that that relationship was something that was handled more thoughtfully and with greater sensitivity um yeah to the world that we live in a lot of that's not the world the characters live in yeah a lot of folks are saying that like this episode kind of feels really indicative that it's written like by an all-male like writing like like a writer's all-male writer certain issues and some of them we'll get into later that the show is just very obtuse to yeah and it shows (laughs) it's i don't know it's kind of puzzling that this didn't come up like at any point um in like the ideation but uh oh well um do better uh do you want to take this next point shan sure thing daenerys wishes to storm king's landing immediately but sansa says the surviving soldiers need to rest ultimately they agree that john and sir davos will take the king's road while daenerys and her fleet will sail to dragonstone jamie chooses to remain in winterfell Afterward, Arya, Brian, and Sansa tell John about their mistrust in Daenerys, and John tells them of his true parentage. So we kind of laughed at this, laughed yeah. at this bit. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, you get to this big dramatic reveal of John going to Sansa and Arya, um, which is something that even if we realize it's sort of unwise, we wanted it to happen. <laughs> but we finally get to this moment, and John admits that he has a secret, and he makes them both swear that they never tell a soul. Um, and then he looks at Brandon and just goes, you tell him. Like, <laughs> Smash how, cut. Um, how much of a coward do you have to be? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it's like Brand needs to get in a word and it's like, just passing the mic. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it just felt really weird. Like the way that kind of played out. Yes. Um, like an anticlimax kind of, of just cut to Brand sitting there. Yeah. Um, that being said, I maintain that I am a fan of Bran. I don't know how um, you maintain this at all. <laughs> I I really do think that it was like just getting saddled with writing Bran for that screenwriting class. Like, I was like, I empathize with you I, way more than I should. Um, yes, I agree, way more than you should. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this scene kind of has a more significant payoff later on when uh Sansa tells Tyrion but we can get to that uh later um worth noting again just the show kind of bumbling its way around like its characters um it's worth noting like uh in this like bit um Sansa talks to the Hound um and she basically thinks like she basically thinks her rapist because she's like you know, everything that I've gone through, like, has made me stronger. And yeah, that's kind goes, of problematic. I mean, yeah, she says essentially, like, if it wasn't for men like Ramsay or Joffrey, that she would still be the same foolish little girl. And that's just, that's an awful line. Like, that's just an awful thing to include yeah. in the show. Um, and I don't think the show can even pretend to justify that that they know it's problematic and that they're acknowledging that maybe Sansa's perspective is one that's problematic and... Um, kind of a reflection of the trauma that she's gone through i don't think that's what the show is going for i think the show is just quite frankly obtuse (laughs) yeah like i don't know if sansa the character 
would necessarily say that. Exactly. Um, it's, like you said, literally just the show kind of, like, sh- like showing its kind of, like, super, super, like, white maleness. Yes. Um, which is kind of disappointing um, that we have to close out. I know, Like, yeah. the last three episodes of the show Especially kind of, like... with a character that we've all grown to love and admire and engage with so much. Yeah. And it's, um, like, Sansa has gone... Yeah, Sansa really has gone so far. Um, so to kind of, like, have something like this is kind of, like, the wrong, like, the wrongest takeaway of, like, yes, her character arc. Exactly. Um, so that's just kind of disappointing. Uh, not kind of disappointing. It is disappointing. Yes. <laughs> um, should we move on? I guess we got. All right. So Bronn arrives to kill Jamie and Tyrion and accepts their offer <laughs> of lordship of Highgarden in exchange for their lives. Arya and Sandor Clegane ride for King's Landing together. Sansa tells Tyrion she fears for Jon in King's Landing and reveals Jon's parentage to him, who then tells Varys. Tormund gathers the wildlings to return north of the Wall, and Jon sends ghosts with them. Jon bids farewell to Sam and a pregnant Gilly. So, I don't think anyone really believed that Bronn would kill Jaime yeah. and Tyrion. The scene was very strangely executed. I mean, it's really that Bronn just like walks in and walks out. Um, but I agree, yeah, we kind of anticipated that that's how that scene would go. Um, I thought it was funny how immediately when that scene ended, we all turned to each other and we go, wait, yeah, who has been ruling Highgarden for the past couple of seasons since the Tyrells vacated? I want to say it's Elena's ghost. If any ghost could, it would be Elena's ghost. Like, I just really want to imagine Bronn kind of chilling in Highgarden, um... And then, like, a door slams, and he's like, oh, God. Yeah. And then Elena kind of, like, materializes, and she's like, I want you to know it was me. <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah, that was, yeah, I didn't like the way that scene was necessarily blocked. Um, I thought it could have made to feel more natural um, versus just something that was, maybe that was also the timing of when in the episode it occurred, but something about it just felt very intrusive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know when... Okay, so you have Bronn pointing the crossbow at Tyrion and Jaime, like his hands on the trigger, like his yes. fingers on the trigger. Um, and like he does shoot an arrow, but I don't know. It's just kind of like that tension doesn't really work because we know that... We pretty much know that Bronn's not going to do it. Exactly, Like yeah. the minute that Kyburn gave him the crossbow, it was kind of like, I really don't think this is going to happen. Yeah, like the scene just lacks a lot of the suspense that they're trying to force upon you. When I feel like the showrunners should know by now that we know the characters well enough to know what they will and won't do, um, especially a character like Bronn, who is arguably one of the less complex characters on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope we see better from Bronn because I do like Bronn on the I show. I like Bronn, yeah. Um, so here's to hoping that uh, it does something a little bit more substantial. Speaking of being a substantial presence on the show, Arya heads out with the Hound. Yeah, um, and she says about? that she may not come back, which is very troubling. So we think that she might try to kill Cersei. Our our our, um, our predictions kind of diverge a bit, but I was talking about it with uh, a friend, Human, um, and we were talking, and she it kind of got to the point of okay, well, what if Arya tries to kill Cersei, but then she gets killed by the mountain. And then that's what starts Clegane Bowl. Not the best way to 
start Clegane Bowl through but killing Arya because we don't want that to happen. We don't, yeah. I mean, and also, I'm never going to, you know, sit here and be like, yeah, let's kill another female character to, like, further yeah. this, like, long-awaited, char- like, character arc for this male character. That being said, I do think, like, this Arya is not going to make it. And I do think that somewhere along the way she's going to die and whether or not that's the impetus for the Hound to go after the mountain. Even though we do already know that the Hound would want to do that anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's uh, I suppose it's definitely not something that we want to happen. It's just kind of like I can see that happening with the show that we have. Yeah. Um, so like, it's a possibility, even if it's kind of like, right. please don't. Exactly. I just don't. At the end of the day, like I don't really buy that Arya will successfully kill Cersei. I don't think that's a satisfying arc for us to see. As much as I love Arya, like getting to kill both the Night King and Cersei, like I don't know. I kind of want to spread the love a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I don't really think that is as fulfilling for her as Killing the Night King was. Yeah, definitely. So, well, I mean, that concerns me that I think that means she will fail and possibly lose her life in the process. Yeah. Um, let's get to like who, I mean, the obvious choices to kill Cersei that we, I think we're both in agreement on. Um, and, um, I have a hot take about this, um, that occurred to me. Um, but if you want to go first, I'm talking about... I assume okay. we both think Jamie's going to kill Yeah, him. yeah, that's what I was uh, But I have a new towards. prediction. Okay. I think I put it in here, um, in our outline that we have. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I don't really believe that Jamie has the capacity to kill Cersei. I think he's always going to be in love with her, and he is in certain ways addicted to her. And she is, let's not forget, pregnant with his child. And he has no children left. We know he loves Myrcella, um, and... We presume he loves Tom and, and Joffrey, and I think having another child would be very important to him. And so I think he'll ultimately fail in that endeavor, and my prediction that maybe is wild out there is that Brienne will actually be the one to kill Cersei for Jaime. Um, and I think that would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be. It doesn't fulfill the Valonqar prophecy, which is that yes. Cersei will die uh, at the hands of a younger brother, but... I feel like the prophecies are pretty. I'm kind of over it. <laughs> yeah, uh, having Brienne do it would be uh, would be the more interesting thing, I think, um, especially because we're all kind of like, oh, it's gonna be Jamie. Yeah. Um, but on that note, I guess we should just uh, bring it up now that Jamie leaves Brienne, and he's yes. kind of like, I'm a terrible person. Like I've always been. Um, who am I fooling? Like I'm yeah. going back to Cersei, and like it's, we're kind of meant to believe that mm-hmm. he's actually going back to like be with her right. rather than Brienne. But as you read it, no. Um, or I think I, so maybe I my understanding of Jamie. I went back and rewatched some old scenes with him, and his character like he gravitates toward other characters in the show that see him as something more than this knight or this kingslayer. Um, and that's, he falls for Cersei first um, because she doesn't really see him that way. She sees him as a brother, but also eventually the father of their children. And they have a relationship that goes beyond um, the way that Jamie is perceived by everyone else. And his relationship with Brienne really takes off in the bathtub scene back in, I think it's season four, um, when they're in the bathtub together and it's Jamie giving the monologue about why he chose to kill the Mad King. And in that moment, he reveals that he was asked to kill both Tywin Lannister and, as well as stand by when the Mad King burned the city to the ground, essentially. And that's the moment when those two characters really clicked. And I think it was because it was the first time that Brienne saw Jaime as something other than the Kingslayer. 
So I think being perceived um, as something more, because I don't think Jamie has the capacity to necessarily see that in himself, um, is the reason that he feels called to go back to Cersei, because that's a feeling that he can't necessarily give up, and certainly not one that he could drive a sword through. Yeah. Uh, super valid points. Um, and I can kind of see it going both ways, which is probably yeah. a testament to, like, how complex Jamie is. Yeah. Um, like, we give Game of Thrones a hard time about... Uh, it's handling the characters in recent episodes, um, but Jamie's arc um, has been really, really, really notable. Um, that being said, I do think... I, I, I think that there might be a reading of the line, I'm not a good person, like that whole spiel as like, yeah, I'm not a good person and I am ready to like kill Cersei and like my mm-hmm. unborn child potentially. So I can see that as kind of being like in line with like him accepting, yeah, I'm like yeah. not a good person. So this is going to be in line with everything else that I've done. Um, but yeah, I can see it. I can definitely see it going both ways. I think, yeah. uh, like let's just put it this way shannon's theories like have been on the money like uh for this entire season so like i really wouldn't be surprised if uh your predictions like were absolutely true i've done okay you guys um but i'm getting more and more ambitious which means i'm taking more risks and will likely fall very flat on some of these but circling back um to kind of where we are in the episode the other main Key thing that happens is Sansa spills the tea to Tyrion, um, and Tyrion in turn spills that tea to Varys about Jon's true parentage. And we could, I don't know, do you think that was a smart move? I I think it's frustrating that she um, treats her word so, I guess, trivially, where she's willing to swear to Jon that she would never tell a soul and immediately do the opposite. Um, I think it just kind of exposes that we shouldn't trust Sansa all the time, and well, I, I am still kind of on the fence about whether or not I think it was a good decision. I think if you're Sansa and you have a certain objective, then yeah, that was probably the smart thing to do, but it may end up getting her brother killed. Yeah, I, from Sansa's perspective, like, she's been trained by Littlefinger. Yes. So kind of doing this is, like, where she's at. Yeah. Um, And her whole thing this whole season has been, what about the North? Mm-hmm. Um, So I do think that in... Spilling, spilling the tea, she's kind of like, yeah, I'm trying to do what's best for the North. Like, yeah. I want, like, if anyone, if I had to pick anyone to be on the throne, like, yes. you know, not Danny. Um, so that being said, I, I don't know, I, I do think it is in her best, like, immediate interests. But, I um, I don't know if it'll play out the way that she wants it to, though. No, but she's surprised us all many times before, so I. Do not have any money on that prediction whatsoever. Um, but You do have another one. I do have another prediction, though, based on the fact that um, Tyrion and Varys both now have information about Jon's parentage. I'm thinking that now that we know Varys believes that Jon should be the one that ultimately ends up on the Iron Throne and that Daenerys is a danger, um, given that if she were to become queen, I believe that Varys may choose to tell all of Westeros about Jon's true parentage um, and sabotage Danny's efforts to keep that a secret. And as punishment, um, Danny might kill Varys. Um, she promised, excuse me, last season that she would um, burn him alive if he ever betrayed her. And I think we may see that moment. We also know that Melisandre told Varys a long time ago that um, they would both die. So Varys's death is something we see coming. But what I'm thinking is that Tyrion may see um, Daenerys burn Varys alive, and that 
coupled with her burning King's Landing, may provide impetus for him to be the one to ultimately kill Daenerys. Mm, I, uh, <laughs> again, Sansa, or, did I, I, why is this called you Sansa? Um, Shannon's been on the money with her predictions this whole season. Um, so I would not be surprised if this happened. Um, we can kind of get to Daenerys in a little bit. Um, I can see that happening for sure. Um, and I guess before we get to our next point, uh, we do have our goodbyes with uh, Gilly and Sam. Yes. Um, who say that they're going to name their kid after John, uh, to which I say they have doomed their kid to idiocy. Um, and but yeah. God, I hope they have a girl and they can name it Arya instead. <laughs> Much better. Remember when people were naming their kids Khaleesi, like, in yeah. their life? I am glad I did not do that. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure there are many regrets uh, at, at the moment for those who did. Um, moving right along. Yeah. Uh, Daenerys' fleet is attacked by Euron's ships, and Euron kills Rhaegal and captures Missandei. Varys tells Daenerys to not burn King's Landing, and Tyrion convinces her to talk to Cersei first. Later, Varys admits to Tyrion that he thinks Jon would be a better leader, while Tyrion remains loyal to Daenerys. Back at Winterfell, after learning from Brienne about what happened in Dragonstone, Jaime leaves for King's Landing, despite Brienne's tearful plea that he stay. Um, kind of going back to the whole like farewell with Brienne and Jaime real quick. Um, I, I do kind of think it's weird that Brienne didn't go with Jon or yes. with the Winterfell army. Um, her mission is to serve the Stark girls. Right. Um, but at this point, I really do think that. They would best be served by her fighting, fighting in King's Landing. Yeah, um, and I guess my other thought on this is that in line with my idea that Brienne might be the one to kill Cersei, um, that would require her to potentially break her oath um, by abandoning Sansa in Winterfell unless she were to bring Sansa with her, which would, um, as a result, bring Sansa kind of back into the center of where the action is. Because right now, for the last two episodes, unless we're kind of misinterpreting the direction they're going to go in, North's going to be pretty quiet. Um, there's not going to be a lot going up on there, so Brienne following Jamie and taking Sansa with her might be an interesting way to bring both those characters back to where it's all going to go down. Yeah. Um, I. That's probably why she didn't go immediately. Um, definitely. Um, I guess this point is all about Daenerys. Um, like, this section of uh, the episode. And um, I don't know, despite everything, I still think I'm with Tyrion on this one. Think so? Um, I'm probably just really dumb, but (laughs) I I don't know. I really kind of want Daenerys to succeed. Um, I think for for quite a few reasons. Um, Initially, I was wondering if Tyrion's kind of earnestness and like, maybe like sincerity or kind of like i don't know maybe even like naiveness like mm-hmm. about uh danny's essential goodness maybe that comes from something that bran told him there was that moment in episode two um when like he and bran have this conversation maybe bran told him something that he saw uh that makes Tyrion believe uh that danny's that that it's gonna work out for danny yeah. that danny um isn't going to become the Mad Queen, as it's many possible. people are saying. Um, 
And I don't know, I just feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if everyone around Danny is telling her that she's the Mad Queen without doing anything to kind of bring out the best in her. Right. Um, we knew that as as a Targaryen, like we kind of knew, always knew that like there is this side of her that's ruthless, mm-hmm. um, that will do like kind of anything that she needs to uh, to achieve the Iron Throne. But um, it really kind of goes back to like what like what Jorah said, like that she is deep down like yeah. of gentle heart. Yeah. Um, so I still think that Danny still got that within her. Um, and I, I don't know. I just kind of wish that people would kind of recognize that Tyrion has a point that it's like we're her advisors like let's advise her um and because it's kind of I know I'm talking for a bit but like I get the rationale behind the whole Mad Queen thing yeah um like it's the dramatic irony of that she'll become like Aerys Targaryen um and kind of apple doesn't fall far from tree kind of thing like it'd be a subversion of our expectations and whatnot and that's what the show um supposedly is supposedly does um but to that point i just kind of feel like danny already is the subversion that was set up Mm -hmm. like her uh john who we thought was a bastard you know Tyrion, are like the unconventional like heroes that like the story set up so if danny subverts the subversion like i feel like that's one level of abstraction that doesn't feel right to me as like a story this might just be the show returning danny to like her underdog roots Mm -hmm. like I don't remember, like, if I heard this somewhere or not, but, like, her army's gone. Like, she's kind of at the same place that she was at, like, back when we started. So maybe this is the show going full circle and we're all reading it wrong. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think you made a lot of really awesome points about that. I'm also, like, been a fan of Daenerys since season one. I think she's really come a long way and she's fought really hard to get to this point and has demonstrated over and over again that she deserves to be here and... I would be excited to see her come out victorious and you suggested that maybe betting on Tyrion is dumb and I don't think that's ever a dumb bet um, unless we really do kind of dig into this idea that maybe Tyrion has lost his touch a little bit which I think if anything is a misdirect. Um, So yeah I don't think you are potentially very far off with this. It doesn't align so much with what I'm predicting but Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't know how much I like my own prediction, but I hadn't considered the idea of the role his conversation with Bran had had in that. But no, yeah, it's definitely an interesting. Yeah. I truly don't know where they're gonna go with these next two episodes. I mean, given how much the sh- given how well the show has handled Bran so far, <laughs> um, which is not well at all. Um, who knows if that conversation is gonna lead to anything? Literally, yeah. Um, but I don't know. That's just where I'm at. I want Danny to succeed. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm holding out hope. Um, anything else you want to say about kind of the where Danny's at? Um, I I don't think so. No. Cool. Um, yeah, we do see um, some other bummer moments in here um, with Miss Sunday getting captured and everyone winding up on the beach. Um, one thing I feel quite solemn to point out is we do see Varus's legs um, in this moment when he washes ashore and he is choking on water, which suggests to some that maybe he can't breathe underwater, as I have suggested repeatedly in my merman theory. Um, I am holding out for a concrete statement from Varus that he is in fact a human, but this did seem to be a very a damning moment for my theory. 
I don't know. I feel like with two more episodes, that's three hours of television left. There's plenty of time for some better shred of evidence that yeah. Forrest is I'm holding out, you guys. Um, don't worry. I'll stay strong for you. But this was definitely a very sad, heartbreaking moment on the beach for me. What if it was an act? I mean, that's a possibility, isn't it? Could it could be an act. It's... Forrest is very clever. The, the fact <laughs> of mermaid existence would be a world-shattering revelation that it doesn't need in light of uh the john parentage reveal so maybe varus is just uh playing the cards right um so if we have nothing else should we move on yeah i guess the only other thing to worth bringing up is our dear friend caroline smith who also um former daily californian writer uh, mentions that gray worm does end up on a beach in the uh. scene just uh-huh. not with the woman um, beside him, which is a very heartbreaking thing to think about. Um, so, yeah. yeah, Caroline's a downer. <laughs> why, why do we like this show, Shannon? Um, but now I think we can move on. <laughs> cool. Now that I've killed the mood. So, Euron reports his success to Cersei, who reveals that she's pregnant, but lies to Euron by telling him he is the father. She orders the gates of the Red Keep to remain open making the citizens hostages to deter an all-out assault on the city. Yeah, so we don't have too many... (laughs) Our our two bullet points on the show notes are, yeah, the folks of King's Landing are toast. And my note, which is those catapulting arrows, which the showrunners are referring to as scorpions, they're pretty dank. Like, I really think those are a cool weapon, and I'm excited to see them play out in this big battle um, that is supposedly episode five. They, They really are. Worth noting, I think we skipped over the fact that Rhaegal is dead. Um, oh, yes. And, yeah, taken out by these new massive scorpions that Kyburn has made. Um, I think, so... to me, the importance of the fact that Rhaegal is dead is to imply that between Jon and Danny, only one will be left. Um, there's only one dragon left to ride. Um, so there is that question of which one will make it out. Yeah. Um, in that vein... Rhaegal is named after John's father. Yes. Um, so what could that say about John's probability of surviving? Um, Not looking good. Rip Rhaegal. Um, <laughs> I, well, I mean, that's that's a, that's a load off of the animation budget yes. shoulders, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So Daenerys, Tyrion, Varys, Grey Worm, and Drogon arrive at the walls of King's Landing. Cersei and Daenerys demand each other's surrender, with Cersei threatening to kill Missandei. Tyrion attempts to appeal to Cersei's humanity and asks her to surrender for the sake of her child, but Cersei refuses and instead orders Gregor Clegane to behead Missandei. Um, so this is kind of a dark point, but I maintain that uh, with Tyrion and Kyburn's parlay, there's a talk to the hand joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, not my <laughs> We'll friends. let you be the ones to make it. Um, uh, but Not my words. Um... <laughs> But yeah, the, the point here uh, is that the show end, the this episode ends with uh, Missandei's death, which yes. uh, we don't really like. There's a lot not to like about it. Um, we have a quote from Anna Donahue of IndieWire, um, and it reads, To have the sole woman of color in the series captured under absurd circumstances that are never explained, and then shackled and paraded around a predominantly white crowd for inevitable execution is a degree of tone death that cannot be fathomed especially after the fur when HBO announced Confederate two years ago, 
an alternate, re- an alternate reality drama from Game of Thrones showrunner David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, where slavery still exists. Crack open the writer's room, guys, and let some of the male pales and stale air out. Yeah, and this really goes to what we've been saying about this episode as a whole. I mean, what? I guess, like, in considering kind of that representation on Game of Thrones was never particularly great. Right. Um, we knew that Missande and Grey Worm were not going to last particularly long on the show anymore, but seeing uh, Missande's death really drives home the point that Game of Thrones is super white. And it's like really white. now we have one black character in Grey Worm who again probably not long for yes. uh longs for that world, but um it really just kinda does hammer home that representation on Game of Thrones was never great. Yes. Um last week, uh or yeah, last week um there was a lot of talk of the Dothraki uh being killed by the White Walkers. Um mm-hmm. and just the optics of that isn't um, isn't really what the show should be going for. Right. Um, and it's really kind of, as we've said, like kind of astounding that things like this kind of fly over the heads of the writer's room, the collective writer's room. Um, Asian representation pretty much died with the Sand Snakes. Um, and like this is something that we knew. Um, right. That Game of Thrones uh, isn't a particularly diverse show. Um, but we're made to feel it um, in not great ways this episode yeah and it is just it's particularly i think egregious to have this moment um in the final season of the show and in an episode and in a group of episodes where truly every moment is going to be so significant and so meaningful to have this placed among those moments um as kind of representing this is the type of show we want you to remember is disturbing and i think we can expect more and i hopefully I mean, we all hopefully will see more um, in the coming prequels and spinoffs that have been announced in the recent days. Yeah. Um, that being said, I don't know if this is something that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are like super like, no, get, like receptive to. Like when you read that line of like the show that they were going to do, Confederate. Yes. I was like, what? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't really have anything good to say about this point. No, um, it really is just not the way I would have wanted this episode to end. Yeah. Um, and just the way that na- the narrative works in that Missandei's death is like a catalyst for Daenerys. Right. Like the death of half of your black representation on the show is like to motivate... A white character who already had no shortage of motivation. Yeah. Um, not great. Um, that being said... Should we talk about what we think is going to happen next episode? Yeah, I guess so. So sounds like we have a big battle on the horizon. I'm, I'm sure a lot of ship fighting will be involved, though we've seen that most of Daenerys' fleet is kind of out of the picture. Um, we'll see the arrival of Jon um, and the troops on foot. And we may potentially see the burning of King's Landing um, yeah. via Drogon. Um, I think we talked about this, and it was like, well, what if John arrives and King's Landing is on fire? Right. Like, what's that going to do for yeah. like his relationship with Danny? A lot of the fighting probably might be on uh, a, naval, a naval battle, which we got a taste of uh, mm-hmm. this episode. And that kind of makes me think that what if uh, the Iron Islands are kind of like uh, reinforcements um, 
So holding out hope that Yara Greyjoy yes, makes a return. That's true. Um, especially because Theon's out of the picture now. We, it would be yeah. interesting to see what Yara's reaction is to that. And despite all the problems, this is still a show that we've been following for quite a while now. Yeah. So we're still pretty invested. Right. And, and I think, I guess to end on my one final prediction is... If you boil the show down to two conflicts, one being John and Danny um, versus Cersei and John versus Danny, um, kind of having those two conflicts, I have suspect that one will be resolved by the end of episode five, implying either the death of Cersei or really the death of either John, Danny, or Cersei um, will take place before the end of this episode. Because I think going into episode six with both of those still on the table is impractical. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And with that, all of the kind of ancillary characters that would go down with them. Right. Like if uh, Cersei goes, you know, the mountain, Kyburn. Kyburn. Things like that. So who knows? Uh, But we'll be here. We'll be here. And on Sunday, we will yet be huddled um, in front of a screen, just like you guys. Very excited to see how the show kicks off its penultimate episode. Wow. Two more episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, hopefully they're good. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, catch us next week. Yes. Um, pick up a paper. Um, Tweet us at Daily Cal Arts. Um, we'd love to chat with you about Game of Thrones. And thank you so much for listening. All right. Signing off. <laughs>